0: All right everybody, welcome back to another episode of Difficult Conversations by Supply the Why. I'm your host Dean and tonight we have a one of a kind story that you can't find anywhere. It's going to be t- we're going to be talking about Cape Fear, the summer of 1988 in Cape Cod where there was a serial rapist and the havoc that they that it that this rapist caused on the community and it's also going to talk about how it brought two very special people together. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and bring our two guests in tonight. Tonight we are going to be joined by the Yamath Police Chief, Frank Fredrickson, and his wife, Michelle Fredrickson. How are we doing, folks? Doing great. Doing fine. I want to thank you so much for um, for taking the time to to do this tonight and choosing this platform uh, to be the first time. This is the first time you've told this story together, Yes. Yes. All right. Well, I want to thank you for uh for choosing Supply the Wire as the place to do that. This is one unbelievable story and uh and I know a lot of people are really going to going to be blown away by this whole incident. So, let's flash back. 1988. Cape Fear. So, Chief, you were what what was your role in 1988 when when this took place?
1: Uh, I was a, a detective with the Yarmouth Police. Uh, I was a fresh detective, so uh, we didn't have a big division back then. And uh, I was on call, and I was the only one who had some type of training in rape investigation. Um, so that, that was my position at that time. All right. And,
0: and how long, I'm sorry, did you have on the job, roughly?
1: Uh, I started in 79, so 10 years. So 10 years? 11 years. Ten. Okay. Nine. Nine years.
0: Nine years. Okay. And Michelle, 1988, tell us a little bit about yourself and where you know where you were, how old you were at that time, and what you had going on.
2: Uh, sure. I was 23, um, a couple years out of college, and I was working at a company um, in central Massachusetts. Um, my first real job, I would say, out of college, and... You know, single, 23, and that's about it. (laughs) That was my life.
0: And Cape Cod, that area of Cape Cod, that, you know, Yarmouth, that Route 28 area, that was the place to be in the summer, no?
2: Yes. You know, when I was in college, we spent a lot of time, and I grew up with a house um, in Falmouth, Mass. So I was used to going to the Cape a lot in the summer. So um, that was a place we went a lot of times for weekends and, and things like that, my friends and I.
0: All right, so you're familiar with the area and you felt comfortable in that area. Yes. Yep. All right. So, Michelle, so you and some friends were out one night. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Sure. Um, we were down at we were at the Cape for Memorial Day weekend. Um, and there were four of us. Um, well, two of my girlfriends and I rented a hotel room, um, and then another friend of ours was coming out with us that night. But then going to his parents' house later. Um, and we had um, come down the day before and spent the day at the beach, even though it was freezing because it was Memorial Day weekend, and it's usually cold on Memorial Day weekend on the Cape. Um, and then we went out that night to a couple of different bars, um, met up with some people we knew and and stuff.
0: All right. So you're, you're having a great time. At some point, the mood in the night kind of switched. Can you tell us about that transition?
2: Sure. Um, It was a little complicated. So we had gone um, to Puffer Bellies, and one of my friends wasn't feeling well. So he decided to go back to the room and take a nap and then said he would come pick us up later. So... um, we were at Puffer Bellies and was kind of we just I don't know not, I w- I wasn't feeling great. We were tired. We decided to leave early, and he was picking us up later. Um, so we walked back to the hotel room um, from where we were, which wasn't I don't know how far was that maybe a, a mile? mile maybe, maybe yeah. Mile. So we decided to walk back, but unfortunately, we missed him along the way, and he must have driven by us or gone a different way so we didn't see him when we got to the hotel we couldn't get into our hotel room i was a motel and so i said i would go up to the front desk um and ask for another key um so i did i went up to the front desk and um it was no one was in there it was open but there was no one in the office there um and so then i came back out and it was all outside because it was a motel um I came outside, and there was a guy who was standing there, and he came up to me and said, can I help you? And I thought, oh, that must be the manager. Um, and I said, yeah, I'm locked out of my room. Um, do you have a key? And he said, oh, sure, I can help you. And then he grabbed me, and um, was not he wasn't the manager, <laughs> obviously. He was someone else. That I'm not sure why he was there. I don't know if he followed us or what, but... Um, he grabbed me and attacked me and dragged me into a neighboring area. Um, I was trying to get away and he uh, like kind of threw me into this big retaining wall, which really um, hurt. So then I realized, you know, there's no way I'm going to get away from him. He's just too strong. So I just kind of went along with it after that.
0: All right, that's, um, that's, oh, that's That's awful. and. Uh, I mean, I I, I mean, you, you you fought at some point, right? Because I heard that, heard a uh, podcast that talked a little bit more about this, and and you fought, and, and at some point you realized that it was uh, that maybe it wasn't going to work out that way, right?
2: Yeah, I thought maybe I could get away. I mean, I was pretty. St- I thought I was strong, um, you know, for a woman. I grew up. Doing a lot of work, we had a small farm, and you know, I was always stronger than most other women. But I never had a male try to um, attack hurt me, you know. And I just didn't realize how much stronger men are than women, or can be than women. So um, it kind of shocked me at first. Um, then I tried talking to him, you know, I was trying to reason with him and ask him if he was having problems, and you know, thought maybe I can get him to. Stop by trying to talk him out of doing this, um, but then that didn't work either, and he just kept threatening me more. That was just getting him more angry. Um, so then I just kind of decided, all right, I'm just gonna let him do what he needs to do and pretend this never happened. Um,
0: all right, so it ends, and you're able to. Did you run away? Did you walk away? How did how did how did. How did that particular portion of it?
2: So when he finished, he told me to put my clothes back on, but he wouldn't let me put my underwear on, just the rest of my clothes. And then um, I thought he was just going to leave. And he said, um, you know, I'm going to keep you. Um, I want to keep you and keep doing this to you. And he started dragging me across the street. And so this was on Route 28 in Yarmouth um and he started to drag me across the street and there was a car coming down the road toward me um and it kind of slowed down probably because they saw him like dragging me and i just like jumped on top of the hood of the car and started screaming and the passenger opened the door and he said um what's going on i was just yelling help help and then he grabbed my arm, and then the bad guy had my arm, and they were both, like, pulling me, and finally I ended up in the car with the, it was two men in the car, I ended up in the front seat with the two of them, and um, they said, what happened, did he hurt you? I said, yes, he raped me, and they were like, we're going to go get him, and they started opening their doors because they decided they were going to go chase them down, and I was just like, no, no, just get me out of here. And we drove down the road instead, um, and then came back um, because they asked me where my, you know, where I was staying and stuff. And I was so disoriented; I didn't even really know where I was. And we came back, and there was someone in the ro- my one of my friends was in the road yelling for me, and they saw her. And I get out of the car, and um, she knew instantly what happened to me when she looked at me she was just you know took me back into the hotel room and those two guys just left
1: at that point
0: so frank at some point you become involved in this so how did you first become aware of this and what was your initial involvement
1: well um it was memorial day weekend uh so I was on call. We didn't have a many detectives and I was the only one that was gonna be called for any sexual assaults. So um I got called uh sometime after midnight, um, at home on the landline, no cell phone, um, to come in. Um so I did, no take home car or anything, just came in and tried to figure it out, it was a relatively uh inexperienced detective and um came through the door, got a briefing by the, uh, sergeant and Michelle and one of her friends was there and I, I greeted them in, in the lobby and, uh, she was put into a, a, interview room and I stepped out for a minute. Then I came back in and I, I could see the devastation on her. Um, it was, uh, so telling that, uh, she was crushed. And she wanted to speak to a female detective and of course we didn't have any. I you know they I'm told mad. me they
2: were finding yeah. one. They kept yeah. saying we're we're getting a female, we're getting a female, but yeah. I guess there wasn't one. So. Yeah.
1: So uh that was it and uh I was on it and uh just listened and tried to keep her calm and try to get some details uh you know we had canine out looking doing certain things Uh, and then uh, once i got done getting the information needed from from michelle uh she was sent on away but then i went back uh, and tried doing some crime scene work with some other people and yeah, we did find some evidence her her wrist watch uh, had broken off we found that um and we're could see where there was a scuffle that took place in the uh, small wooded area right next to the hotel. Got some witness statements uh, that saw some things. Ironically, um, we had a detail officer that was working at that hotel at the moment. But he was in the back. He was trying to control all the partying that was taking place. Sure. Yeah. And the hotel next door, there was one also that actually saw the scuffle in the road. But it happened so quickly. He couldn't put two and two together, so he had a little bit of, uh, of visual. So uh, we got a hold of Michelle again and talked to her, and, you know, she was looking for her underwear, and it wasn't – we couldn't find it. So that was uh, something that was very unusual. Um, this was no joke. This was the real deal. So uh, I was indoctrinated into rape investigations with this case.
0: So just to jump in and to put a little meat on the bones for everybody that's watching, um, now – there are formalized schools and specialized trainings that police officers go to to learn how to investigate this and learn that it's a different investigation than, say, a larceny or, or, even, or even a murder charge. It's a different type of investigation altogether, and it requires a certain uh, bit of... Elegant of grace. I don't know how to put it, but you know, like it's delicate. You have to be delicate, a little more delicate in these investigations than some of the other ones. Would you agree?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that was the key with this is building um, confidence with the victim that you're 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 listening, you're understanding, and it goes both ways. Uh, and I think Michelle can speak to how she felt about that, but that's such an important piece. Of getting confidence in the victim, because you remember, there's a lot of things going on in their, their heads when this happens. It's they're they're afraid, and she can tell you she's always been afraid ever since, which is so, okay. I'm sorry,
0: I'm sorry, Frank. I was actually th- that's a perfect segue. So, Michelle, you, yeah, I'm sure your head's going a million miles per hour at this point. You're in this strange building with these strange men all around you. How did you at? how did you reconcile that in your head and at what point did you realize that frank who's just a detective and at that time that you could trust frank
2: it took a little while i mean i didn't even want to go to the police one of my friends really pushed me to go um and i'm so thankful that he did so you know to some degree i can understand why a lot of people don't report this crime because it's so much easier to At the time, anyway, to just try to pretend it didn't happen. Um, And then the whole time we were sitting there, they kept saying they were looking for a female because I didn't want to speak to a male. Um, And then finally, someone convinced me, I don't know who it was, just try talking to him and see how it goes, you know. So I did um, go by myself to your office, I think, um, and... Honestly, within like three or four minutes, I felt comfortable. Um, I don't know what, you know, I don't remember specifically why, but once I started talking um, and just the way he was questioning me, I ended up able to tell the whole story, you know, and all the details that I could remember at the time. A lot of it came back to me. Um, after, you know, there were a lot of things that I forgot. And I think there, you know, there was a lot of phone calls after where I would remember something or something like that. Um, but some, for some reason I did end up feeling comfortable talking to him once I got there. It's like a lot of things, you know, you dread doing it, but once you actually are in the seat doing it, it's not as bad as you thought Sure, it's going to be. So,
0: and, and it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's fear of the unknown. You know, like you just don't know what happened. You're, you know, you're trusted. Obviously you've been violated in a way that most people can't imagine. Um, so I, it, it's, it's 100% um, natural. And and even how you had the, the that delayed recall of the events, that's mm-hmm. common too when, with any, with stressful situations, that happens in all walks of life, even amongst police officers. Sometimes we are involved in traumatic things and, we, uh, we you know, things come back a day, a, a week, later, a month later sometimes. You're like, oh, wow, I wish I had mentioned that, you know? so.
2: And I had zero experience with police. I mean, I don't even remember ever talking to a police officer before that. I just had never encountered police before. So even the idea of being in a police station was really weird to me. It was the only time I had ever been in a place like that, so...
0: I, again, I can't imagine what that must have that must have been like in that in that short amount of time. You went from having the best you know the time of your life as a 22 year old, you are partying up, and then a few hours later in a police station talking to um, talking to somebody that you'd never met before. So I, I um I, I, I your your courage is amazing to me. And just so I can say this, like if you need to take a break or stop at any point, like don't feel like it's not going to hurt my feelings. Like this is about you. And I want to make sure that you feel comfortable and that you uh, get what you need from this. Okay, so if you need to t- stop at any point, just let me know. Okay. So, Fra- so Frank, I'm going to bounce back to you. Your head swimming also, because as you said, you got the real deal here. You got no real background in this, and I can't imagine what you're going through because that. I mean, you get that. Did you get that feeling in the pit of your stomach that this is not somebody who's making something up? This isn't somebody who made a mistake and now they're trying to get a police report to get out of it. You knew that this was the real thing and that there was a lot of pressure on you to get this right.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's like everything that's challenging, you know, I don't care who you could be Tom Brady when you go to that next Super Bowl, you still got those butterflies. It's like, man, I don't know how I can do this. You know, I I didn't have a lot of confidence in myself, uh, but it had to be done. So you know, we used the best practices we could, try to involve some other people to try to gain uh, something, get a, get a composite done, typical investigative things that were available that th- at that time. Um, and there wasn't a lot to go on. But one thing that was pretty um, telling, though, was her ability to be certain when she sees this man again, she will know it. Uh, Right, but
2: I didn't really – I couldn't do the composite. They tried to draw – what do you call it? A composite. composite. I have one right here. Yeah, I tried to do that. The next morning I had to go back to do that with the sketch artist, and it looks nothing like it. I mean, I couldn't really –
1: I don't know if I can show you that. But that was her composite that she did of the guy. That's who we were kind of – That's the original composite? original, yeah. So – yeah, that's what. But it he, really doesn't
2: look like him. I just I said he was taller than he really. I think just a lot of things were different than. Well,
1: yeah, and the other thing that we did, we went to all the local uh, police stations, looking at the photos and different things. I had a suspect that someone saw running at the same time that was in Newton. Ended up doing a search warrant on his house. Well, he was from Newton. It's from Newton. Newton, but the search warrant was in Newton. Yeah, and uh, it turns out it wasn't wasn't it uh, wasn't him um so and of course that's like a sidetrack here but still it's like wait a minute she's she knows what she's doing so here's where we were back then we went to the boston police department and they had just got a computer uh and <laughs> they could they, <laughs> they could generate uh pictures of, of different mug shots, kind of an electronic composite of actual pictures. So we did that. And that one looks even worse than than the drawing. So, was, but that's what we did. We, I mean, some of the departments had pictures in shoe boxes, you know, it was really, you know, a sad state of affairs because every place was different back then, but much different today. But it was hard to do. We looked everywhere except for Falmouth. And that was something we could talk about later.
0: So just to take a step back real quick, tell me about the feeling that went through both of you when you did the search warrant in in Newton and it ended up not working out. Was that a bit of a gut punch? Did you feel, was there like a sense of defeat? So Michelle, I'm going to go to you first. Talk to us about that, what that was like.
2: Well, I think um, after you did the search warrant, you showed pictures to me and I was really excited because I thought that was, you know, this was done. Like that was so easy. Um, and then he showed me pictures of different people and I knew none of them was him, even though I, my drawing, I knew was bad and it didn't look like him. I knew when I saw his face, I would know who it was. So, um, I remember saying it's definitely not that person. It's not that person. When I pointed to the guy that Frank thought it was, he was like, Oh, <laughs> crap. Yeah. And he had driven all the way to my work. um I was working in Marlboro at the time, and he had driven up there to show me the pictures, and it wasn't him. So it was definitely discouraging. Um,
0: Again, no facts, no email.
2: Yeah. Right? So, that, and, yeah. And there were yeah. twists
1: and turns, too. One of the pictures we got of him was actually not the real guy, it was his brother. He had had his brother's identification when he got arrested. So it was like, a hot mess of, of, of things that didn't add up when we got through the whole thing. He had previously got arrested using his brother's information. Uh, so we were all over the page. It was it was a lot of work, but yet, okay, put it aside. It's like that, That's yesterday's news. Let's move forward and, and, and see what's going on. I think one thing that she might need to add is the impact of her family and how important family and, and support is so she can speak to what that was like when you arrived home i think that's
0: uh, critical. So, frank you're a natural at this we should be switching kids uh, <laughs> so as frank suggested let's let's talk about your family your support system how how helpful were they were they helpful hurtful
2: yeah no I'm, i mean i was i'm very lucky to have a really supportive family and i think that's part of the reason why and friends you know that was part of the reason i was able to do what i did Um, my parents, um, my whole family was home or almost my whole family when I got home because it was Memorial Day weekend, they were having a cookout, Um, and when I told them, um, they instantly just, my father instantly was just angry. You know, he was just focused. He wanted to call Frank instantly because he was going to find the guy, you know, um, and They were really supportive. Um, You know, I had, for a while, I slept in the same room as my brother. Uh, I have twin brothers, um, so they had two beds in their room. And one of them was away at school still, so I slept in the other bed. And my brother slept in his bed with a gun because I was afraid he was going to find me. Um, And I did that for a week or two. And, you know, they were really, they drove me down to the Cape a couple times. My father wanted to meet with Frank probably like two days later or something like that, um, just to make sure he knew what he was doing. <laughs> um, so he met with him um, and then was felt pretty confident, I think, after that, um, as confident as you could. So, uh, you know, I was very lucky. About that, I did go back to work pretty quickly um, because I'm not someone who can sit still anyway. So uh, I think that helped me a little bit, too, to just keep moving forward. And the fact that I was um, doing something to try to find him, too, I think helped me to get over it more quickly uh, because I knew I was doing something. I wasn't just sitting around thinking about what happened to me. Um, and you know, my family and my friends were just all very helpful during that whole process.
0: That's yes. amazing. And I, and, and I, and I get you, you know, sometimes like take, like you, like you it, did it give you a sense of control that you were taking an active yes. role in the investigation.
2: Yes, absolutely. It helped me a lot, almost too much. I think because I probably should have gone for therapy right away and stuff, but I was so focused on finding them you know that was what i was just obsessed with was trying to find him and stuff so um i should have probably done other things to take care of myself then but um it gave me something to focus on and did definitely help to get past it quickly
0: i hear you so frank i'm gonna bounce over to you now talk to me about meeting michelle's dad um, and what kind of motivation he provided you to, uh, oh, to give it your very best,
1: man. It's like, it wasn't, there's was enough pressure as it was, there was already. And then he shows up in my, the upstairs, Cause course, the always upstairs, you know? Right. So, uh, he comes in my office and all I can think of, Oh Jesus, there's John Wayne. He's going to, you know, he's just looked like he's ready for business and he wants some answers now. And I'm like, oh, man, I don't have a whole lot. But uh, he talked to me a little bit. I'd gotten some citation that was on the wall. He looked at it, and he read it, shaking his head. And he says, okay, let's go. You can do this. So it was pretty – it was – you know, because, you know, that's his daughter. You know. I got two. I get it. And if that were you, you would probably present that same – uh, intensity, so you feel that, and that's, it is pressure, but it's like all right, but it's also motivation. It's let's all right, come on, let's 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 see what we can do. Let's keep at it, you know, and, and we worked at it. But what what happened uh, to really change the direction was on uh, June thirteenth, a neighboring uh, hyenas, not not less than a mile from from where Michelle get raped at another hotel. Um, kind of similar situation, another woman got sexually assaulted and also her underwear were taken. So, when we're working together with the Bonestable Police Department detectives, it's like, okay, well, there's two. Let's, uh, um, there's something here. Uh, and you start piecing it together the best you can and and work together and it's like, this is, you know, the heat's turned up a little bit more. This is not a one one-time thing. So, it started to feel like that. Um, so that that made us work harder. But it was really not as much to go go on. But uh, working with Michelle, you know, she, you know, she said, "I will know him when I see him." When she says that, that's like so so such an important thing to like have confidence. All right, well, we got to get her to see him. So, um, yeah, talk we,
0: about the turning point there. At some point, there was a turning point in the case where you started kind of changing your approach. So yeah. what happened there?
1: Well, it, the rapes kept, hap- kept happening, okay? So, and they were a little bit different. Um, you know, and there were two in July in, in Barnstable violent, these were violent rapes, and all. That was just in July. It's like, and there were some similarities. They were out. There was some alcohol involved at different places. Not that they were all intoxicated, but they were out at establishments just like Michelle was. Like, And then they got um, violently raped. Um, and then there was another one on August 6th. Which was really, you know, the violence was escalating, with we choking and and, and t- t- like that, and Michelle was getting becoming more like we got to catch this guy because it was becoming very apparent that these women were out in the in the nightclubs, so we we thought, and she actually had the confidence to say we can, you know, if we see we get out there we I'll look for him, so like. We got nothing else to lose.
2: Well, my father wanted to come down. Yeah. My father and my father wanted the two of us to go down and start looking in nightclubs.
0: So just them. you just your father and you no yeah. no no trained
2: people. <laughs> well, it was his <laughs> idea with the two of was going to find them and he was going to take care of them, yeah, you know. Well, so, you know. Um so I mentioned to Frank, you know, we have to do something cuz my father's going to go down there and start looking for him. So, uh, that was when you talked to came up with the yep. idea of us all going out yeah and we't did let my father go once so we I took friends with me instead so
1: yeah so <laughs> <laughs> that could have been interesting but anyway it um, it went out and and we had it set up but I had to back out my wife at the time was pregnant with my son who's now a Boston police sergeant uh, so um, Steve Ixaros my uh, former deputy chief and now state representative, You've probably seen him a few times. Uh, he uh, he went out with Michelle to the different nightclubs around, and, you know, he felt pretty good. It was a good idea. Um, but then as we, after that was done, they didn't find any. They had one guy they looked at, but it turned out it wasn't him. Um, but what did come out of that was looking at deeper at the reports. You know, the detail in reports is a good police thing as you know, writing every little detail on, down because you never know what might be important. But one common denominator was uh, Puffer, uh, um, Guido Murphy. Murphy's in Hyannis, where a number of the victims were at some point during the night. So the next weekend, um, August 13th, um, I went out with Michelle and she brought one of her friends to go down with her. And I met with... Um, uh, the Barnstable detectives, There's uh, uh, Reed Hall and Nancy's early. Uh, we, we've already been, co- you know, connecting on all the different things. So we split up. Now, remember our radios didn't work in sync. I'm in Yarmouth, they're in Barnstable. So what we did is, uh, Nancy and Reed, they went down one end of main street, uh, and, and started looking. You know, looking at the composite, trying to see if they see something that looks like somebody. I don't know. Uh, so, but Michelle and I and a friend went down to Guido Murphy's and walked that end. We walked inside, looked around, didn't see anything, but I had this idea. Um, you know, like the like references the deer hunting mode. Like you see more if you stand still. Sometimes, <laughs> you know. So we went outside and uh, we weren't there less than five minutes and she's like starts shaking and she says, he's right there. He's right there. 10 feet from us. All
0: right. I got to cut to Michelle on this, Michelle. So you realize that this is the one, this is the guy talk us through your thought process Talk us through your feelings, as as much detail as you can. Bring put us Put us there with you.
2: Sure. So, you know, we were standing there, and I saw him. He had his back to us, and he was smoking a cigarette, which was exactly what he was doing when I first saw him when I was at the hotel that night. When I walked up to the hotel, he was already standing there, and he had his back to me then, and he was smoking a cigarette. And before we went out that night, you showed me some of the – information that some of the other women had said about him, and one of the things I remembered seeing was that he smoked Marlboro cigarettes, which I didn't notice that that night, but I noticed this guy had a pack of Marlboro cigarettes in his back pocket, it was kind of sticking out, and I just the way he was standing, he was like exactly in the position, and he had the same shoes on that I remembered, mm-hmm. and um, it was just standing exactly in the position that he was when I first saw him that night, which I don't even know that I noticed him. I didn't, I don't remember noticing him the first night, but I must've subconsciously. And I thought, wow, I think that's him. And then he kind of turned and I saw him from his profile and I knew it was him, but he started telling me, no, it can't be him. He's too short and he doesn't have this. And, you know, going from what, the descriptions. He's telling me it can't be him. I'm like, I'm telling you, it is definitely him. I'm positive it's him. Um, so, and so you I have it. this mini argument or this, <laughs> this, <first> this, <laughs> this difference of opinion. We'll
0: call it, we'll call it. So, how did you end up winning out, and what happened next after you must have convinced Frank that that this was the direction of moving? Well,
1: I'll, I'll tell you honestly. As much as it didn't. In my mind of looking at everything, I had a different conceptual uh, vision of who it would be, and it didn't really match. Even if you look at the composites today, they don't really match. However, um, her human instincts, her body language, the shaking... His confidence that this is not this is no joke. This is this is it. This is this is him. So it's like, all right, I'm a lone Yarmouth police officer in Hyannis, got conceivably a serial rapist ten feet from me, and the victim with me. So okay, I got to handle this cool, and do the best I can. And said, we'll just we'll just trail him, and I get a hold of uh, Nancy and Reed down the end of the main street and gave him uh, updates on where we are headed and we converged right at the same time, um, near this liquor store. That's now a restaurant. Um, and we I relayed to the other two detectors, what, what we had. And, uh, so it was like, okay. So we watch him and, and struck a load luck. He is, uh, he starts a uh, conversation with a couple of kids and he goes in the liquor store and buys them liquor. So he comes out. Once he comes out and gets that done, it gives us the opportunity to confront him, Hey, what are you doing? You know, and then he goes, "Uh, oh, come around here. He goes, where's your car? His car was parked right next to the liquor store. And once we saw that car, it was a gold Cadillac, which is mentioned in one of the other reports. And it was, like, really come together. And there was also a slit that was – On the seat that someone, that one of the victims had reported. So, you know, when we talk about detail, you know, those are those important things for a police officer perspective, put the detail in. Um, But then, so what we did is we uh, sweet talked him into driving to the police station in Barnstable, uh, not under arrest, that we want to talk to him about the uh, the, uh, the liquor and, and this and that. So he volunteered to drive to the police station. Um, I don't know if you want to talk to Michelle how she was feeling at that time, but I can go further on what happened.
0: Go, go a little further, then I'm going to bounce back to Michelle. Okay.
1: Yeah, so we get to the police station and uh, we bring them in. And we bring them in the front door. We bring them into the booking room. Um, but I'm left with them in the booking room, right? The arm police officer left in the booking room. The two detectives go upstairs and they're up there for quite a while. And... Um he's allowed to use the phone and he calls his father and he said something to the effect of no, it's not for for a rape or something to that effect. And so it's that's different. an odd statement, to yeah, say the least. Rape. So it's like, and I'm there like and now she's been left her own devices to come in, and I think the other detectives helped her to bring her into the station, but they can but they ended up converging again, Mich- Michelle and, and John Flower. Um so um, I'm in the, in the booking room. He's getting antsy. It's been a while and I honestly I don't know how it happened. There's a release to get out of the booking room and I'm unfamiliar with it because it's not my police station. Somehow he either the door wasn't open or he hit that button without me really knowing it and runs out of the booking room through the lobby of the station. So after him we go I uh, relay to the uh uh, desk that, hey, he's leaving. He runs out to his car and the Bonnetville police were, uh, were on. And, uh, of course, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Warmington from the from the state police, current uh, we with the state police, he was on the Barnesville police. He actually stopped them in the parking lot and we brought him back in. Unbeknownst to me, what was taking so long with the detectives is that when they ran his record he was already under indictment for a rape in Falmouth a year prior. Um, and then they were putting together a photo array for one of the other victims to come in and, and take a look. And so that's where all that stuff took place.
0: So, Chief, I'm going to jump back over to Michelle at this point. So, Michelle, we're going to backtrack just a hair. So you've realized that this is the person. I'm sure Frank is relaying to you that he has to play this very gently because because he, he's out of his jurisdiction and he's by himself. And it's not even like he's really by himself because he has you with him. So he has to really make sure that you're taken care of. What is your thought process during all this?
2: I was just so nervous that he was going to get away, you know, that they weren't going to arrest him because I was positive it was him. Um, and... We went into the police station, and um, I was in the waiting room waiting, and he came in. Um, John Flower came in and walked by me, and he, like, stared right into my eyes. And then I was even more positive. Like, I was so sure that it was him. Um, and it just took it seemed to take a really long time. You know, we were put in a room waiting, and, um, and I did start thinking at one point, what if I'm wrong, you know, and was hoping that um, there would be some other proof. And I didn't know any of the things at the time about the Cadillac, you know, that some of these other things matched. Um, but then finally they had another victim agreed to come in and she looked at a photo lineup, I guess it was, the photos, mm. and identified him instantly. And that was probably the biggest relief um, to hear that someone else was confirming what I, and I felt like it wasn't just all on my shoulders at that time. Cause someone else was agreeing with me. Um, I didn't think I even saw the person, but um, just heard about it. And I was just so relieved that it was not just me saying it was him.
0: I, 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 again, I can't imagine. I, I have to ask. So you were in the police station while all this was going on and you were sitting in the lobby. Oh. Were you were you there when he was able to get out of that interrogation room? No, yeah, they
2: put me in a separate room at that point. I was in the lobby at first. I think they were trying to figure out where to put me, and then they put me in a separate room. So, no, I didn't see that happen.
0: Okay, because I, I can't imagine what that would have been like, yeah. um, having this guy trying to exit the station, successfully exiting the station, trying to escape.
2: Yeah, I didn't even know about that until later. Like, you know, um, I didn't even know that happened that night.
0: Uh, keeping that keeping that detail separate is good police work frank that was something that probably didn't need to come out it's
1: like that big striper slipped away out of your (laughs) hands
0: all right so you've you've wrangled you've wrangled him back in now you got him back in the police station now what now you have him now it's no longer he's not there under his own free will at this point can you talk about that a little bit frank
1: yeah it really uh he was just booked after that um and then the detective work upstairs began to, you know, consolidate the cases and try to get a, get the other victims in. And really my part was pretty much done with. And so the other, all the other cases were in Barnstable, but it's piecing the male getting the other victims. And it took a period of days to get, get that done. But what did happen was uh, they did a search warrant on his house, looking for evidence. Um, and sure, sure enough, Um, they found six pair of underwear between his mattress. And one of them, Michelle had to identify and it was hers. The others were not identified. So that tells you something.
0: I just have to pause for a second. So you identify this underwear, Michelle. What's going through your head when that happens?
2: Again, I think it was relief, like more confirmation um, for me. Um, It was really bizarre because I had to do like an underwear lineup. You know, they had a whole bunch of pairs of underwear, and I had to pick the ones that were mine. Um, And I was just relieved because it seemed like there's no way he's going to get away with this now. You know, they have all the evidence they need. There's just no way he can get away with it. so that was really the main thing I was thinking.
0: Well, folks, um, just really quick, we're we're about forty-four minutes in, and now that um, I mean, you, I'm here with Michelle and Frank Fredrickson, and they're telling this unbelievable story. I promise, there is a silver lining in this very dark cloud. So this goes to court. He's convicted. Yes.
1: Yes. Yeah, he pled guilty.
0: He pled guilty how did you two end up connecting in the future because it wasn't obviously it wasn't the type of thing where you weren't this you weren't in a relationship during the investigation besides being unethical it just it just doesn't happen so how did you link back up again
2: well i i mean we hadn't even spoken for a long time we did stay in touch at first i mean to me he's a older than i am <laughs> seven years, but when you're 23, that's a really big deal, you know, so. Right, right, right are-
0: under the bus, Frank. You know? <laughs>
2: <laughs> so at that time, if anyone had ever said, oh, someday you might date, you know, that police officer, I would have thought they were out of their mind. Cause he was like having, he was, you know, having a kid and um, just seemed like an old man to me. Um, but later um, we kept in touch for a little while. We had um, exchanged Christmas cards every year. And then at one point he told me that he had gotten divorced. I think I had gotten married around that same time. Um, and I was always impressed because when he would send Christmas cards or the few times we would talk, it was always all about his kids. He was like really um, focused on his kids. And when I got divorced years later, I hadn't spoken to him for like seven or eight years uh, at all, um, other than the Christmas cards. Um, and when there were parole hearings, they would notify him and he would tell me, you know, he would send me a copy of it. Um, And I got divorced, I was getting divorced, and the therapist I went to, um, I was trying to figure out the whole co-parenting thing, and the therapist I was going to told me I should speak to someone who has the other perspective, the male perspective, that I think does a good job co-parenting and stuff. And I honestly couldn't think of anybody. And that night or the next night, I was in my kitchen cooking, I had the TV on and he was being interviewed on TV for some pedophile that had been caught. And I thought, Oh, he's divorced. And he seems like he's a really good dad because I see, you know, his, he talks about his kids all the time and stuff. So I went, I looked up his email address. Um, and it was old. I remember I hadn't gotten an email. It's been seven years. I was like shocked that he was still even in my, Email and I just sent him an email and said, Is this still your email address? It's Michelle um, Lynn. And he responded that it was. And then we just started talking um, on the phone. Then we met for dinner um, one time, like a few weeks later, Hmm. and started dating. So, and I was surprised when I saw him. I remember we met in the parking lot. And he was walking toward me, and I thought, oh, wow, he's not as old as I thought he was. (laughs) (laughs) Because at that point, I was 40, you know, so it just didn't seem like that big of a deal at that point.
0: I'm sorry. (laughs) It's funny how a few years and some life experience you'll do that. Yeah, Yeah. yep. So, old man, excuse me, Frank. So now you're out, you're out, you're out at dinner. And was it, I mean, it, 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 what was the dynamic like? Cause now you're not dealing with like, this isn't your work anymore. You're not talking to the victim. I mean, at some point she switches over and you're always, I mean, a victim is always a person to you, but now you're looking at this person through a completely different window. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, there are rare cases that, and this was one of them, right. That was kind of, Highly unusual, and it's quite an amazing story in and of itself. And so understanding Michelle and where she came from and her strong family attributes that she had, you know, made her like, that's a really good person, right, which is all we look for, just really good people. And, you know, the time went on, my life went on, you know, the job can impact your uh, a marriage and, and all types of things. So I ended up divorced, two kids, do the best I can, and uh, it was a long time, and Michelle contacted me, but I said, wow, she's a really nice person, and I don't, I don't know, you know, really had, other than some parole things and a couple of Christmas cards, had no contact, and then when I met her, it was like, you, you look at her differently. Because it wasn't a big nice, but I still saw this great person, a strong person who was resilient. That uh, and to see how successful she was in spite of having a tremendous speed bump thrown her way. Uh, it's like there's something there, and and then you start looking into the soul, and it's 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 a good thing, and so and it just worked out, uh, and yeah, we ended up married, so and here we are. So
0: it's, it's a beautiful story. And, and for me, that means something because I know this is going to shock you. Like, I'm not really like a romantic type. You know what I mean? I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> so, so for me, I to, to even feel that, I mean, that, that is incredible. And the best part about it is you already had that, that foundation of trust. I mean, the, the, the biggest type, the best type of trust is, is you were there for each other. Um, for for very dark moments, obviously, you know, it's clear that you were there for Michelle Frank, but Michelle, you know, looking at it from the other end as a, as a police officer, that's invested in the case. It was dark for him too, because obviously he wants this for you. We want to help um, people that that, that really need our help as police officers. So, um, so yeah, you were there for for each other during those dark times. I think this is just, just an amazing story.
1: Yeah.
0: So as we're winding down here, Michelle, what is it? Is is there any message you have for women out there? Anything that you want to get out for, um, for women that, um, that may have been through something similar or even women that haven't been through something similar, but, but need to hear, um, your story.
2: Um, yeah, I mean, a few things. One is, um, you know, I think I understand how difficult it is to come forward when you're a victim of a crime like this. Um, but it's so important, because unless people come forward, rapists are going to keep getting away with what they're doing. Um, and unfortunately, they do get away. I mean, the statistics, if you look at them, are still terrible um, regarding how many people um, are, report in a rape um, and how many people get away with it. Um, and I know mine is different because it was someone I didn't know. Um, I actually, for a little while, was volunteering at a rape crisis center. Uh, but uh, about a year or so after it happened, which was probably too soon for me to do something like that. Uh, and I was so shocked by the number of um, domestic cases of rape. Uh, it just amazed me. and. You know, my hope is that more people will come forward, and if my story helps them to make that decision, um, and if I can help them in any way, um, I would like to be able to do that so that we can stop this crime from happening. Then the other message is just to be resilient and not to let something that someone does to you affect your whole life. Uh, It wasn't easy. I do think that the fact that I fought back as hard as I did helped me to recover from it, but... Um, on the other hand, after it was over, there was kind of a letdown and that was when I really had to go to therapy because there wasn't, you know, I didn't have that adrenaline anymore of trying to look for the guy, um, and was having panic attacks and, and stuff like that. So I, you know, definitely needed to get some help, but I still managed to, you know, I have had a successful career. I raised two kids, um basically on my own with Frank's help. Um, and I think, you know, it's important to stay strong and not let something like this get you down and ruin your life.
0: That's incredible. Frank, you, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, you love your wife, but I mean, how proud are you of Michelle for having the
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's really, uh, interesting. Um, To be married to someone that has that type of inner strength Uh, and it's really the message that we would like to get out there is having that strength don't let things get you down and there are many other victims of sexual assault that that do it can destroy your life and there are other traumas in life that happen Uh, so I'm very quite very proud of um, her to be an example and you know Casey Sherman who wrote the article Cape Fair in the Boston Magazine he was our first ability to tell the story to him and put it in print and you know that allowed us to be able to come to you and be able to tell the story and you know there's more to it that it's not there's other pieces and and it's got a different message as time goes on. And one of them is for police officers, which is kind of the duo of this whole thing. You know, we have an amazing, resilient person who was a victim that carried forward. But also at this time, as you know, in policing, when we are, we are bashed from one side to the other, that we do an awful lot of good things. We help a lot of people way more than we create harm. And we can do better. And the message to our officers is to to look at this, look at this case, and look at this woman, to show that let's be resilient, let's listen, let's have confidence, let's hear what people are saying, and not let all of this get us down. And be strong and move forward and do what's right for everybody. We can do it.
0: Perf- perfectly stated. And I was just going to bounce over to Michelle real quick. You know, just piggybacking off what Frank just said, this anti-police world that we're living in right now, based on how much Frank has meant to you and your well-being, both emotionally and physically, how does it make you feel when you hear a lot of this anti-police rhetoric? Uh,
2: It's so hard, you know, um, because not only, you know, I have Frank, who I had such a great experience with, um, and his stepson, Corey, is an unbelievable person and police officer, and it's just so hard to see then we have so many friends that are to see that happening and the whole attitude toward police is, it's really challenging to listen to it. And it's hard for my kids, you know, being in school and having to not talk about what their parents do. See, I'm getting more emotional talking about this thing, um, than, you know, talking about my story. Um, and I just don't know how it's going to end. Hopefully it, it
0: ends soon because it's just not right. So we're down to about four minutes left, Frank, really quick. What advice do you have? Again, you talked a little bit about, about um, police in general, and basically just keeping our chin up. But as far as police officers, particularly in the investigative role in uh, officers taking initial reports for things like this, do you have any messages for the uh, officers in those roles?
1: Uh, Just all about detail. Getting the detail in there, um, and you know what's also more important. Don't rely on today's technology to do your job for you. There's a lot of things you can do. The old gumshoe tactics, the uh, different surveillances that can take place. Um, the the tech marry it with the technology that's out there, and and it'll be. Uh, be very uh, rewarding in the end, but don't forget old school tactics because they do work. Um, but uh, understanding the victims, particularly in a, a personal case like this uh, is critical, gaining confidence. Uh, don't discredit anything that is said. Uh, there's a lot to it. And it's it's all uh, like a lot of things. It's attitude. If you had the right attitude going in. You You know, not every case will be successful, but you're going to, be confident that you've covered every base that you can and live uh, uncover every stone
0: Well, again thank you both so much for taking the time out to talk to us again let's keep the positivity rolling are there any causes anything that you want to call attention to any any anything at all special projects you have going on michelle
2: not right now honestly i'm so busy working <laughs> um but it is a goal at some point to really focus on that um my we will be totally empty nesters starting in the fall so i'm hoping with some of the extra time i have without my kids home i can start focus on some initiatives around this more so thank you for giving us the opportunity to tell our story here it's very good timing uh,
0: I, I thank you and chief same question to you uh anything that you want to call attention to in the last uh, minute and a half or so here
1: well, I think we spoke a lot about it. There's a lot of things we could do. But one thing we, we did think about focusing on to get this story out there is um, getting into colleges and universities and talking to young women about this and resilience and taking care of themselves and, and and having some awareness of what takes place. And then I'd love to be able to, like, somehow parlay this into uh, something I can – Pass on to a lot of officers, and with that we can help a lot of people and turn that tide that's out there against us
0: well well said and again i I can't thank you enough for for sharing this story this is um this is unlike anything we've done here before, and I am so honored that you chose this platform uh to be the one to share this on it's just um i i, I I'm, I'm I'm speechless and that's hard to do because I can talk it is um I'm just, I'm just blown away, and I'm amazed by both of you. So thank you again for that. Uh, folks, we're going to be closing up here. This has been uh, the most unique episode of difficult conversations that we've ever had. Please, if you enjoyed this conversation and you enjoy difficult conversations with people uh, from with all different topics, from all different walks of life that are just seeking to understand one, each, one another and just seeking to make society just A little bit better, one conversation at a time, you've come to the right place. If you look at the bottom of the screen, we are on all of your major podcast platforms. If you can't catch your live shows, we are on LinkedIn, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, and we're on Twitter. So please like, subscribe, and share these episodes because so many people need to hear these stories. So again, my name's Dean. This has been an amazing conversation. Thank you all for tuning in tonight, and we'll catch you at the next one. All right, good night, everybody. Good night, Frank. Good night, Michelle.
1: Bye-bye.
0: All right. We'll catch you next time. Hashtag supply the Y.